You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with David Truss and my guest, Shelly Sanchez-Torell. Welcome, Shelly. Hi, I'm excited to finally meet you in person. Yes. This is so exciting after almost a decade of conversation. It's true. It's almost a decade. And we actually, I remember, did a podcast where we were invited to both speak and it was the very end of the podcast that you realized it was me that was talking on the phone with you. Yes, yeah. and I was so excited and I think the the host had to tell us to kind of get our talking later. Yes, yes, we had to carry on afterwards because we got so excited to be actually almost live, but this is the first time we are together. So Shelly, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I am most known for being uh, the co-founder of EdChat. Um, I'm also the author of the 30 Ghost Challenge for Teachers and Learning to Go. And I also am the founder of Ed Speakers, which is uh, the, uh, the first kind of database where it's searchable for conferences. It's free and free to join and has over 100 speakers from all over the world focused on education. So Excellent. And you're here at ISTE, uh, ISTE 2016 in Denver, Colorado, and uh, you are actually going to speak on the 30 Goals Challenge. Yes, I am. That is, yeah. I actually just did a keynote smackdown yesterday about the power of goal-minded teachers and students. So what, can you give me a little description of what the 30 Goals Challenge is like? The 30 Goals Challenge is, uh, for the past seven years, uh, teachers all over the world, thousands of them, gather in schools and also in our online communities. We're, have a face, we have a Facebook group, we have a Twitter hashtag, we have a Twitter, it's 30 Goals EDU. And what we do is we support each other in accomplishing 1 to 30 goals, small goals that have a big impact in the classroom and on students' lives. That's fantastic. And uh, I'm just going to introduce what I'm doing here because this is the first time I'm going to try this. But this is going to be, I guess what I'd call a long format interview. And the idea and goal behind this is I get to have an awesome conversation with you, first of all. But then also, too, that we don't just have to touch on ideas, but we can dig as deep as we want. And so I look forward to some of your answers to some of the questions I have. And uh, we'll make it as organic as, as we can. But the first question I do have is, what's an aha moment? you've had as a teacher that you'll never forget? I remember blogging a long time ago about one of these aha moments that I carry still with me. I was a new teacher at a high school. It was the first time I was teaching at a high school. And I was in the situation where there was a principal. In the past, I had uh, done non uh, unstructured kind or non-structured environments where I taught at churches and museum schools and stuff. So working with the principal and set of rules was different for me. And I thought, okay, I have to just follow the rules. Everything in the handbook, I have to give, you know, demerits or write students up. And I just wanted to really please the staff and just be on their good side. And there was a student, one of my students, one day... Um, who actually threw a chair at me. And so the typical protocol would have been to send him to the principal. But at some point before that, I had already uh, been teaching for a semester or something. And I had realized that I didn't want to send any of my students to the principal. And one of the reasons why was because 
I started seeing that these rules that I never wrote or agreed to didn't get my students to do one thing. It didn't get that, which is very important, to reflect on their behavior and change that behavior. And the other part of that was reflecting on my behavior and changing my behavior. Because you might be in shock, oh, he threw a chair at me, nothing happened to me. Um, it kind of slid, and he didn't throw it exactly at me to physically harm me. But the reason it got heated was because when I went inside the classroom, I was stressed. And I brought that stress in with me. And when the first kind of level was, he was talking with other students, and then he got disruptive, and I asked him to be quiet. And, but I said it in a way because I had carried with me the stress of all my life things that were going on. And so he had said something back and I said, you know, coming back, like, don't disrespect me. And I'm the adult here that kind of did that teacher thing. And it escalated. And that's what I realized in that situation. Like, I had gotten so defensive that the atmosphere, I created the atmosphere. You and contributed not, to the experience exactly, you was having. Exactly, I contributed. And I thought, you know, and then I was so angry. I was very upset. I don't tend to be a mild teacher. People see me, they're like, she's like five feet and little. She, but now I'm used to working with teenagers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what I did at the moment, and I'm so happy because... <clears throat> that I had some kind of wisdom or something put in me that I said, we both need to calm down, um, take a step. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is just walk outside, just you know, just so you can calm down. I'm not sending you the principal, but I need to calm down too. So let's just step mm-hmm. aside from each other and then after I'm gonna go and talk with you. And then, so I got myself together a little bit, went with the rest of the students who had seen this and have to, um, and gave them something to do, reflect on what we were doing at the moment. Um, and we were watching this kind of, that was the other thing, we were watching a very passionate video at the time. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of kind of, kind of contributed also to Also contributed the, as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. I don't think I gave them a good enough reflection or back channel or mm-hmm. something to do with all of that, you yes. know. It was a very powerful video. It was um, excerpts of Bobby Kennedy. Okay. And uh, so... Then this class went back. I did give them a great reflection, you know, kind of activity to work on. And then I stepped out for a few minutes, just right outside, and I talked with, um, and I was calm by then, and I talked to them, and I said, look, I really care about you, and I know that you are better than this, and what's going on, because you've never done that. So let's talk about what happened. And then I found out, like, he was having problems with his father, and we kind of talked about that. And then I talked told him, well, I want to say I'm sorry for that I brought something in the classroom that was negative, although mm-hmm. there's never an excuse to get it to that level. Yes. So I want you to think about you're going to have more instances with your father, and I can't give you advice on that because that's your parent advice. But think about what are you going to do next time when you get angry mm-hmm. because you're not going to have a teacher like me who's going to be understanding and who's going to talk with you and make sure that you go to the next level. 
You're going to have a teacher who's going to send you to the principal who's going to put in IS, expel you, and you're not going to get to go to the school anymore because that is a very serious offense. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I never had a problem with that student or any other student as far as that was concerned. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of very rebuction, but it taught me, like, this didn't really reflect it and change the behavior, and I feel as if he could, that made him successful to be able to realize, like, I have to have a strategy for when mm -hmm. I get, when life happens. That's about two or three ahas, not just one. <laughs> <laughs> because exactly. really, you know, and it's that recognition of, of your contribution, the recognition that, all right, I'm not going to necessarily follow the rules here. I'm going to do what's right for the kid. Um, and then that sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's just great. You know, one of the things, when I moved from being a teacher to a vice principal, I became shocked at some of the things that came to me, you know, that came to my office, because kids were coming to me to, to my office, and then I'd say, well, what did you do? And when they described it, it was like, I would never send a kid to the office for this. Like, why? why? And, and it's something to think about, because when you think, and I, I'll, I'll say this, because when you send someone to the office, you're saying... I can't handle this and handing the power over. And you've lost that power to have the control to take back and, and earn sort of that relationship that would prevent something like this from happening again. And I think that that's something that people don't realize is, you know, at the moment I pass it up the chain, I'm actually saying, I don't know how to handle this. That said, you know, if someone is violent towards you, you know, um, I think I have my three Ds. Right? So drugs, obviously, you just right. I'm not going to deal with it. It's going to the office. Dangerous in some way. I think that's one other one. And then the other one, which is interesting, is defiance. Because that one's not as hard as the other ones. But when a person absolutely refuses to do anything that you want them to do, and then defiance isn't, no, I won't, and then off to the office. But when, <laughs> when they reach that point where you're, be, you're trying to be the teacher and they're just refusing, well, I'm no longer the teacher. And so if they're absolutely refusing to accept me as a teacher in, in any way, shape, or form, then that defiance is something where it's like, okay, we've reached a line where I can't handle it because I'm not. <laughs> I'm yes. not being successful. So for me, it was those three Ds. And, you know, in, in my 10 years, 10 and a half years before becoming an administrator, uh, I think I sent about four people to the office. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's because of that, right? And uh, you know, a hat tip to you for recognizing and that. And I, I would definitely say in this situation, if it had hit me, I wouldn't have had a choice. Yes. I try to tell teachers that too. But yes. other, if there's any physical contact, if there's any kind yes. of, even accidental, it has to be reported. Yeah, and that's, and that's a piece too where um, I had a, 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 I won't share it, but I had a similar story where someone you know, lifted his fist and pulled it behind his head. And I never thought he was going to hit me, and I could see how frustrated he was, and I didn't take it to the office. But, you know, um, for, without telling the story, the one thing I recognized, though, is even though I knew he wasn't going to hit me, it affected the other students who saw it and thought he was. Yes. And so there was a lot I had to do, not just with him, but with the whole class, to make them understand that I wasn't just letting this go and I was dealing with it. Well, I just, think that's a good point, yeah. too, because if I would have seen it impacted my kids yes. in a negative way and it would have encourage the behavior yeah it could have right yeah so, yeah that's wonderful um what's one thing this is a two-part question uh what's one thing that needs to stop happening in education where it's time has come and gone 
Well, I think part of that, and I write in my 30 goals at the very beginning, it says this is not a prescription of how you teach. And nobody's going to give you a prescription for that because they're not in your classroom and they do not work with your students. And I feel like a teacher even, and I know that that's controversial, but if there are very... There are very few teachers, but I know some, and they love lecturing. That's what they do well. And really, if they're gonna, um, it, sometimes I've seen when we push people to do things. I'm not saying teachers shouldn't try anything and go out of the comfort zone, but they're so defiant in it that they end up being a really terrible, terrible at um, the instruction because that is not something they want to do. And that's not a place they want to be. And they so much rather have someone who's so excited about whatever they do, whether they bring drama in the classroom, whether they're uh, moving around, whether they put emotional. And that's going to make them the most excited, passionate, happy teacher in that classroom than to say, okay, you're a bad teacher because you um, give homework, you give grades, you... And I think too many times they're, they're sh- people share that. No, you're just a bad teacher then. There's no excuse for not doing, for giving homework. There's no excuse. But I, I don't believe that. I believe like, um, and I think that teachers should learn from different theories and stuff. Definitely. I try and adapt it, adapt mm-hmm. it to their setting. Excellent. And so on the other side of that, what's one thing that um, we're getting right in education? I think right now we're doing it, we're using, we're attempting to take more risks with technology and getting students to problem solve. You see the government really focusing and and putting a lot of money all over the world on STEM. That's a hot topic, uh, making, creating, coding program. And all of those have the same thing in common. Students are doing things. They're solving problems. And I really, really like that. I like this trend in things in education, even though... People have been doing this for decades, but yeah. it seems to be hot right now, and I hope it just stays and isn't like a fatter trend. The question of who owns the learning seems to be more at the forefront. Exactly. And, and I like the point you made that there have been amazing teachers doing this for decades. It's not new. Um, you know, it's that, that sort of maker idea is new. Um, but at the same time, there, you know, I can remember uh, in our district, uh, grade four or five teacher building a raft out of pop cans and then taking it to the lake where they actually had to test it you know and that's something that he did 15 years ago well in 1996 when i started my teaching internship i did a hands-on science museum and we had a day every tuesday and we had a whole entire like uh recycled parts we had computer parts we had people donate all these things and students were making robots and rockets and testing them. So I always see that as, hey, this was our makerspace back then. <laughs> it was your makerspace. It was your genius hour. Exactly. And, you know, we have, we have these titles exactly. for it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think you bring up such a good point because it has been happening, right? And so, but now I, I agree with you. It is at the forefront and, and I'm excited and a, about the Yeah, things. me too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, are there any neat sort of... Um, projects that you've seen recently? My, I'm very excited about uh, 3D printing. I've gone to a lot of different schools. I travel a lot and consult with schools and works with the students. But one of the most um, really heartfelt things I saw, and this kind of 
I guess this is like another aha moment too, but I always thought Maker Labs and 3D printers and that was for schools that had money. And mm-hmm. I went to one recently in Indiana and there was two kids and I was going to do Makers as part of my STEAM workshop. And so I went to the kids and I said, there were two teen boys, and I said, can you, can you, instead of me talking, you know, I'm just going to take a little field trip next door with my um, teachers, and can you just tell them about what you're doing? And they had a 3D printer. So they gave this one-year-old presentation. This boy could have been a keynote speaker, anything. Mm -hmm. And then later, one of the teachers came up and said, you know, this boy, if you saw his shoes, they're taped up. He's Mm -hmm. homeless. Wow. And the only reason, he, he ran away from home, we're working with him, but the only reason he decided to stay in the school was because of this makerspace and because of the 3D printing. And they were doing amazing things, like they would find, they would make the parts from computers that weren't working, and they just needed parts. They would make it, and then they would fix the computers. Um, they were just designing all of these things that solved problems. But I would have never known by looking at that kid, and, and it really changed my mentality of who benefits from a makerspace and 3D printing and those kind of things. So I'm excited about 3D That's printers. Neat. I'm neat. really excited. We had, we had um, a, a teacher who brought in a, a 3D printer, and then he bought another one that was not unassembled, and he let two students build it as a project. Wow. And I think one of the neatest, one of the neatest things that happened was because this was a fairly new design, at one point, they printed a piece to, to add on to the other printer. So they used the one printer and actually printed a piece to help build the other, oh, the other printer. So that was pretty good. One thing more I should say about the, yeah. the, the 3D printers is I've seen like it build a gap, like actually make... Um, I, there was in the uh, news article I read about how... Well, this whole entire interview with a student... And he had built his own braces. Like, he went through learning about dentistry and math and all of these things. And he, it, his teeth came out. They did yes. each step. And he was just like, and he did it because it was the cheapest way to do it. So I, I saw think that it's just very too. accessible. Yeah. I love that. Yes, yes. And, and just the, the cost of things like um, for amputees to, to create their have um, custom-made um, pieces for them is pretty amazing as well. That's I think awesome. That, that's pretty amazing. Um, on, on the topic of sort of that maker spirit, what's a hack that you use to make something you do regularly easier? I tell teachers, well, there's actually two hacks, but they're really quick. So one is every teacher, I think, should know Google tools, apps for education <laughs> because they just, that's worth spending your time. They save me years. Um, and especially add-ons. And that goes along with the other one is extensions. So extensions and add-ons are very similar. Extensions, though, are from the browser, and add-ons are from Google. But they help you grade. I mean, they've saved me a year of time in grading. They've saved me a year in time. And everything I do, people ask me, how do you spend so much time on social media? How do you blog? How do you do... If I didn't have extensions, if I didn't use add-ons, there's no way I could do this. Excellent. That's great. What's what's an area that you kind of sit with uncertainty? Where you? I think the whole area about passion. I see a lot of passion-based education and mm-hmm. Genius Hour, and I love that movement. 
But I feel that we don't reflect enough on the teacher because mm-hmm. I feel being a passionate person, accomplishing so much, I understand, like, passion isn't easy. It's very difficult. It's very hard. And I also tell people, if you live your passion, the ones who say you live your passion, that's what you do for a living, you never work in a day in your life, obviously aren't living their passion because you work 10 times more every day in your life and you excuse it because of the passion. And it's not bad. I love what I do. I reach so many people and people would just... But here's the, the, the part that it, and I've learned this from a, I listened to TED Radio Hour, and I've heard this one TED, I can't remember his name, and he said this really revealing thing about it. He said, you're doing something really well, you're doing something not so well. And in his instance, he said, I'm here, I'm giving presentations, I'm being an awesome keynote, I'm being an awesome author, and I'm not being the best dad right now. That doesn't mean I'm not a good dad, but I'm not spending time with my kids. I'm not, yes. you know. And he said it's always a give and take. And if people mm-hmm. tell you like that's success, that you live your passion. And I think that's the same thing that in passion-based education, Genius Hour, are we teaching the kids how to be balanced? Are we teaching them the other side where, where, are you getting enough sleep? Are are you eating well? Because for me, I found much later, you know that I wasn't taking care of my health. Nobody stopped me and really helped me in school or even my father who taught me to live a passion-based life um, never taught me, you know, it's really important. You you have a routine. You walk regularly, you sleep. Because if you spend a week and you get real, three hours of sleep every day and you're traveling and everything like that, your body's going to give out. <laughs> so I think I love those ideas, but then make the health thing an issue to really balance it out that's what I'm uncertain about that's excellent you brought up some uncertainties around the passion base for me as well and in, in, in that I used to be extremely passionate about photography I started photographing weddings I did over a hundred of them and by the end of it I really didn't want to take pictures anymore and so I take a few pictures I when Instagram came out I thought I was going to be all over it and I dabble in photography but I don't have the heart behind it after doing these hundred plus weddings so so it's almost like doing it as work took the passion out of it for me and so I that's that that's something that that tweaks me with uncertainty about you know when when we make it the work are, are we are we maybe sucking a little bit of the life out of it but, but the other part too that you brought up that, that we're uncertainty around that passion is I think that we want kids to be passionate about what they do uh, but we don't necessarily scaffold how to build that into their schooling. And so there's this gap of, you know, pick anything you want and a kid doesn't know what they want to do. And they're not, you know, they don't have any real passionate ideas around, you know, the topic area that you might be interested in if, if you're a science teacher, yeah. for example. And how do we support, how do we not drag them into something they don't want to do because then it's not really passion. Right. But not leave them hanging when they're stuck and floundering because they don't find the thing themselves. Exactly. Or maybe they like to do a lot of things. And there are a lot of kids out there now that you, people say they're ADD, but really I've seen a lot of creative people that just are really good at a lot of different things and mm. like 
they kind of have to do a lot of different things. Yeah, they want to dabble and they want to explore <laughs> and see what's out there in the world and they don't want to spend three months on one project. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, a, a little bit of a funny question, but what's your magic? I think people would say my magic is I'm good at starting movements and getting them to grow. If someone comes up to me, if you came up to me, Dave, and you were like, this is my passion, this is what I want to do, I'm the person who's going to, if someone tells me their passion, I poke them and say, well, then why aren't you doing it? And this is how we can do it. I'm not only a poker, Mm -hmm. but I figure out a way with them how to make it happen. So if anyone... The same it, scaffolding I was just talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in an individual way, mm-hmm. I can see how that'd be difficult in school. But I've had, for example, we had a conversation on NetChat once, and a bunch, um, there was a group of people who started talking and asking, okay, so how do we make our... Um, it wouldn't be this great if we had this huge conference and it was online. I said, okay, let's do it. Let's take it away from the chat. And then there was the Reform Symposia conference that yes. you presented at. Yes. And we made it happen. But that's the person I am. I am not the person who finds the money or, or you know, I'm just a doer and figure out, uh, you know, if somebody says something, I hold them to it and help them find a way, if possible, that I can help them get it done. And I think... Uh Adding to that, the magic is that you do it yourself with every project that you touch seems to be gold. <laughs> Thank so, you. From creating the biggest ed chat there is <laughs> uh, to um, the 30-day challenge and the reform symposium. I mean, people from all over the world presented. Um, it we had like 8,000 attendees out yeah. one uh, one year we had from all over the world. If I think it was uh, 100 different countries at least, over 100. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic um what's one topic oh, oops i'm asking the same question again uh no i'm not this is the one that um I, i'm most excited to hear about and that is what's one topic that we need to spend time talking about right now what's the thing that you really want to share i think the way we define failure and the reason why is because growth mindset and uh grit these are popular words and rigor and we're really spreading on schools but my father grew up really differently my father didn't teach me about um, the definition of failure what happened was that we decided uh, my dad decided if you don't try something that's failure Um, and now because the way the education system is kids do try every day even if they show up to the class that is trying for a lot of kids who their parents, my dad, um, his parents left school at 11, 12. They had to work. They had to do things. Mm -hmm. So for them to show up is trying. For them to attempt even a handout or worksheet, things they don't really want to do, they actually, in some cases, some of that stuff isn't even really that beneficial. That is trying, but we kind of market as failure by giving a grade and stuff like that. So I think we need to spend more time on if we're going to have these conversations about failure and everything like that, then we need to figure out the kind of system that supports kids trying. I think we need to stop talking about uh, failure, and it's more about trying. How can we get more trying 
and 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 letting that trying go where it can or that curiosity or exploration go where it can and supporting that and not get punishing kids for that I, I I'll, I'll push back because I don't think try is the right word okay but maybe I, another yeah, word and we have, <laughs> so that, that's my challenge to you to come out with one because I think the word try is used too often in a negative way where someone's okay. frustrated and then they're told just try as if they haven't been, okay. you know, and oh, so yes, and so that's one that. of those things where, to me, try is used is overused in Maybe ways that don't take risks. I, I think so. I think okay, so. That, that's better. Let's say that, yeah. but let's start with I, failure, baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm passionate about the idea of failure, and, and one of my favorite things about uh, our school, the Inquiry Hub, and our grads is when they talk about the school, they talk about learning through failure, and so. Um, that's something that, that to me is, is, is just a beautiful thing. And, and when they talk about it, they talk about, well, I tried this and it was a complete failure and this is what I learned. And if I were to continue, this is what I would do next. And so there's this, not just, it was a failure and then there's this end. And uh, the way I see failure, there's, if there's a lack of resources, if there's a lack of support, or if there's a lack of effort, a failure is exactly that, a failure. That's it. it, it you know, that, and that's not something we want to see. But when a kid tries something epic and it doesn't work, they try something huge, and then they can tell you, well, this is what I tried, and this is how I tried to overcome this, and you know, even though it didn't still work, this is what I learned. That's not a failure anymore. Exactly. Right? It's, it's a roadblock they hit that they learned that I, you know, I have to overcome. And I think that people... That's where, to me, failure, the idea of failure is exciting, right? But no, not the resources, not the support, or not the effort. We're dealing with a failure that isn't good. And I think that's the difference because we don't define it well for yes. kids. They really believe that a failure is related to a grade and yes. what's the outcome of that. And I, I think in your, circ- in your situation, you explain it, but I think so many times we don't explain it well for, for students to where they feel like they're not being punished. And, and their attitude towards what a failure is, a student who isn't good at math as a former math teacher, you know, I'm not good at math. You know, there's this defeatist failure attitude yes. before they even start. And then they're, you know, and, and it's about the mindset again. And I think that um, a fixed mindset is where that negative failure comes from whereas yes I am actually very excited that growth mindset is being talked about I think it's one of the best things I love that book I think it's Carol Dweck Carol Dweck yes and uh, love George's book on the innovative mindset as well which feeds off of that and just being open to those ideas of um, it's okay to continue to 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 realize that um, I'll use Darren Carapatua's example of being in perpetual beta Right? We, as, as the adults in the room, need to model that we're going to try something different. It yeah. might not work, um, but what are we going to learn from it anyway? And when, it's, when our students can see us doing that, then it's okay that it's not perfect. And I think that that's something that holds people back from doing the little challenges and the things that yes. you're talking about in the 30-day challenges. What if I do it and it doesn't work, and how embarrassing will that be in front of the, t- the students? And it's, it doesn't have to be Oh, that. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so um, on that note, what message would you want to share with the whole world? The message is that learning is a continuous journey. And when we go on a journey, and I think of it like a journey, if we were to 
decide we're gonna just take um, a month trip and go on an excavation to another country where we don't know I, learning is that kind of a journey it's the kind where it's really tough it's really hard you get challenges so you get challenged so often and every challenge makes you learn something problem solve and see what you're made of like that's the best part i think mm -hmm. um with all the things you already have and that that's the way we need to build curriculums and design schools on journeys um because then we're going to get students that feel the empowerment and the strength of doing that that's nice <laughs> if you were to pop 10 years into the future and look back at yourself right now, what advice would you give your current you? This is gonna be a little, this one is a little tricky for me because it wouldn't. Uh, I don't, I, it's the same thing you went back on. The many things that I've learned is because I've had to overcome so much. Mm -hmm. And if I gave myself any advice, I wouldn't have had all those problems to solve that built the foundation for me to do bigger, greater things and didn't give me that kind of going through it and saying, oh, you went through that. You can definitely do that. So I would just let myself do, maybe, I don't know, maybe give myself some more encouragement. I don't know. I don't think, actually, no, I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> well, that's interesting because you are the first person I've asked that question, and, I, and now I don't know if I'll ask anybody else, but that is, that's the best non-answer I think you could give, so that's good. <laughs> um, all right, so I have a fill-in-the-blank question. So tell me about the day that you became a better blank. <laughs> this is a tricky one. Uh, I think a better support. Okay, so give me that. What was the day? Tell me about it. <laughs> I think when I was, um, or maybe I should say, maybe a better listener. Excellent. And 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 by listening, I also throw in there observer, mm -hmm. because I remember being in a and in in kind of getting over. I'm not going to know everything and you're forced to listen in that situation when you're just like baffled mm -hmm. and so I was in a classroom uh, it was my first class a hundred different kids in the class it was from a church and they were all inner city kids so you gotta stop there so a hundred kids in the class so yes. is this a church event where you're speaking to kids no it no? was our children's church we were a okay. huge inner city um, and nobody would teach them so me and my sisters volunteered we were teenagers but that was our first class. We got books. Mm -hmm. We went through training. Some of the best training I ever did. Puppets, mining, and all what were kinds you teaching of things. Them? Um, well, we were teaching them. Okay, so that's a trick one too because the people in charge said, look, these kids, their parents are ex-drug addicts. Some of them are in prison. Some of them are teen. It was well, an inner yeah. city, huge San Antonio. And so they said, what you have to teach them we're going to give you all these books and everything, Christianity, you know, foundations. But really, what it is, is that fun and that you care about them. Mm -hmm. And that was the first teaching job I've ever had. And I had 100. 
I had to do classroom management, all these things, figure out. <laughs> and I remember the first day we had this little girl and she was doing cartwheels all around me <laughs> for an hour while I have 100 kids running around. And it was one of these instances where I was very baffled. But having that message, I wanted to do a good job. And so I really listened and took any of the training, any advice I could get. I said, okay, I'm just going to, I'm not going to get over like, uh, I'm not going to think. And from that time, I'd always been successful and everything, been like president of everything, a leader. <laughs> but at this point, I was clueless. I didn't know what to do with this little girl that kept. And my sisters were two, and we had books, but it didn't matter if we had books because airplanes were being thrown around, all this uh -uh. stuff. And being able to figure out, I thought, you know, someday I could, I kept just seeing myself kind of looking like in a movie where you see another self of you. And mm -hmm. I thought if I could just be this person that really sits here and is able to have all these kids and accomplish what they told me, like they're laughing and smiling and all these things. So I listened after that, you know, any kind of training, anything they give us, I was willing to, I went and checked out books and you didn't have computers really then so I checked you couldn't google I checked out library books anything I could I just really wanted to learn and listen so who are you listening to to learn from? I was listening from the people who were previously there who mm -hmm. had I think you know we jumped into and we didn't even we thought oh nobody else wants to do this okay we're like so yeah. mighty we, yeah. we're the ones who volunteer but I didn't even ask for help like I can't believe I decided to do something I'd never done which is <laughs> And never, I mean, I mean, that's where I, I would feel like I didn't observe. I never went into a class before that. I yes. never walked into this situation. I just jumped in thinking, oh, I'm going to be successful like I am and everything <laughs> else. And then it wasn't. And then I was like, okay, got to listen, got to observe, got to go to. We actually went to conferences and stuff and saw other people who did it well. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I, I, I'm, I'm glad I got over myself and said, I got to learn from other people. That's awesome. <laughs> that is just awesome. So uh, one of the things that I'm really interested in, in hearing from uh, the wonderful educators that I'm going to be interviewing over the next little while as I ask these questions is uh, tell me a story or uh, about a letter or a favorite letter you received from, from a former student. Well, I was teaching this online course and it was for credit and, you know, students come in and usually at, you know, a university in my past, like when I've taken university courses and things like that, it's very strict. Um, if you don't turn things on time, you get a zero. Mm -hmm. You don't show up to class, you get a zero. I mean, there's very strict rules. And so I had a student of mine who wrote me towards the middle and she had been participating, she'd done so much um, other things and was really feeling like she was going to quit. She said, I cannot do this at the end of this course. She didn't give me an explanation in the first email, so it was a, a, a series of communication. And so I wrote back and I, instead of taking like, I'm sorry, this is the, I said, because you can decide this, you know, as the instructor. I decided I'm giving the extension like I offered her that I said mm -hmm. can we work together see how you can get through the course maybe you need an extension and let's see where, what this option can do do you think you'd be able to do it by another date and she wrote me back and it was she sent me these heartfelt messages how 
her fiance had gotten in a really bad um, motor accident, motorcycle accident. And later, and then her, um, one of her, like her, her stepfather had a heart condition and she had to take care of him. And later on, it, it became that actually the fiance passed away. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if I would have been that teacher, that instructor, because, you know, that's always a choice you have. And I could have said, no, sorry, you mm-hmm. already, sorry, you yes have to drop the class you lose your money because that was talked about too and that's it mm-hmm. this is the way it is in the real world or something like that if I would have said something like that I just think like how horrible that would have been to that student and that student ended up getting um, her daughter to help her with finishing her projects and she told me that as well but they were creative projects and you know video and things like that where you could have somebody else and then she did take the extension and she did amazing things and then she continued with different courses with me but she really expressed to me like it was that support in telling her when I didn't even know what the situation was I think sometimes we want to stick to rules but I think like if we see that a student has already given participated and I mean, of course, if a student's never showed up or anything like that, yeah. that's a whole different matter. But for this, just to consider that there is life things. And, and uh, I was just really happy that I I saw the student as, like, all her work before was good. And mm-hmm. what can I do not to let her go? Yeah. And and we sometimes do forget the, the hardship that people live in their, in their lives outside of schools and outside of classes. And I think... Um, uh, some students wear it on their sleeve, you know, and you kind of know where they come from and what their background are. But others, um, you know, it, it could be as simple as mom's at home and has cancer and the, they're not telling you. But the hardship that that causes is just something that, you know, strikes them. And when you don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Yeah. And I have to quickly say that um, this actually didn't stem from something that was in... I learned this from a professor. There was a very strict professor. He was really known for giving um, grades that were okay. It was really hard to pass this class. And I always made great grades, and I always wrote great papers. But there was this t- um, the last, like, two weeks or something of the course. I didn't turn in my final paper. There was a really tragic incident in my life that happened, mm-hmm. and I just didn't do anything. And it was just one of those things, like, you know, tragic, you know, death and stuff. And I couldn't. And I didn't even contact the professor. I didn't tell him or anything. And this professor that's known, like, to be so strict actually wrote me an email. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is unlike you. You have mm-hmm. always given. And I really hate to fail you. So whatever it is or anything, you have an extra week and I'm giving it to you so just gather it together because you're good enough to do this and you should really finish this because you're you're just you have a talent or something but I was just you know for me that was a heartfelt moment I was that student and I had this professor that was known to be super strict and felt had no problem failing people but I guess because he saw the work I had done and that just I guess that taught me to be that kind of person, that teacher. That's excellent. And um, for 
that student, I mean, going back full circle, the, the last part of the letter that she sent to you, can you describe what she said? And thanks to you for. She actually wrote me a message, and then um, we sh we saw each other on the webinar once, and she was in tears. And she said, "You know, if it, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have attempted courses anymore. I wouldn't have gone through more learning. I really would have just kind of felt this huge tragedy. It was so huge, I couldn't even imagine that kind mm -hmm. of tragedy like that." And um, she said, but because you were very understanding and you didn't know what I was going through, that I decided not only to finish the course and to produce all these things, but um, she also did, began to start other things too with other teachers. She's even started supporting other teachers on things, and I just thought that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? Have we talked enough about edu <laughs> about edu speakers and what you're doing there as a? Well, I do do a bit of uh, now. I'm leading into leadership and diversity, mm -hmm. and I do believe that's important. Uh, one of the reasons I like to do incredible podcasts like this, get to know somebody else and stuff, is um, but also from everywhere. So I think there's not enough um, representative voices of what learners are like. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we see too much of the same kind of voice and presentation, and they're awesome. There are some really inspiring people I think are amazing. You know, of course, Kim Robinson, Daniel Pink, but they're the same. Mm -hmm. And they still talk about motivation and other things like that. And I want to see more like, okay, what? And I think this is the conference is getting it right. Like, if you see all the speakers here, they're all diverse. Mm -hmm. And that's some of, this has actually been one of the most diverse speakers of ISTE I've ever seen keynote. And because it's important to get their experiences where they all came from. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even the fact that you've been in Canada, China, everything, like all those experiences bring something to the classroom. And I think if we always get like, and, and I'm not even talking about just diversity in gender, just diversity in ethnicity, but even diversity in cultures, diversity in countries. Sometimes in the U.S. we tend to get a lot of U.S.-based, you know, or even sometimes it'll be U.K. or Canada, but when do we hear like an amazing teacher in Indonesia or something yeah. like that? So with Ed Speakers, we have over 100 teachers. We've asked teachers that we've noticed on Twitter and things like that. We really groom them to, um, we have uh, our online virtual Toastmasters in a way. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, and we have, we create their profiles, we talk to them about branding, we have professional goals, we do things like get a video spill, how to do video spill, how to get your, um, if you want to, how, you know, we just talk about everything as a presenter. What do you dress like? What you should be paid fairly? Mm -hmm. how, where do you get yourself marketed? How do you let people know? And it's a free database that any um, conference can look at, any consultancy, anything. They just search by keyword. And so th that's something I'm very passionate about as well, is just the fact that um, that we can get more voices out there. So that way we also, I think it's good too because our learners, they represent different voices. They represent different experiences, especially with our influx of immigration. Yes. We need to be able to have that understanding more. So it's important we get even like immigrants speaking as our keynotes that 
have those teaching experiences and things like that. That's fantastic. There's one more thing that in your in your bag that of uh, experiences and things that you're passionate about that you kind of push that I think we should share a little bit more about. Uh, your passion into reality is something that I think is coming up that people should pay attention to. Yes, and I'm hoping you'll be part of this online conference. We're also doing, and this is the first time it will ever be on the podcast because we haven't really announced this part of it yet, but we have edupassions.net and also edupassions.com. What we do is we're going to have an online conference where anybody can pitch their passion. They can present it. um, They can have others join the project or let it know about it. Or it can even be a space where you're very passionate about something and it's sort of like, I have this idea, but I don't know what to do. Like, this is my passion. And then other people are going to come from all over the world and say, hey, identify with that. Let's get together. Let's collaborate. And you know what? This is what we could envision together. But the other part that we haven't announced is it's also a space because Sarah um, Thomas is my partner in this. Um who's Sarah, the teacher on Twitter, and she has a lot of passion projects too. We'll put her name on the show notes because it doesn't, Sarah, the teacher looks a little bit different uh, as far as spelling goes <laughs> yes, for it Twitter. Does. Yes, it does. Yeah. So what does she do? And she's the founder of EduMatch. That's one of her passion projects, but Sarah does a lot of different things and we've worked together over the years on a lot of things. And so what we is decided to do is um, when people do have a bigger passion, have lived their passion for a while, and have a project, if they want to throw an online conference, and I founded one of the first education, general education online conferences, um, the first one, which was the Performance Symposium Conference, mm-hmm. which you did part of, that I love. We're going to give a space where we can help them host that on the site. Like they can... They say, hey, we want a conference on something. We want a hangout event on something. We want an online workshop, an online panel, anything like that. We'll help them facilitate that. So you're making the bar of entry for whatever their project is low enough that they have the support to do it. Now they can just pursue their passion without having to figure out all that back-end stuff. Exactly, because usually they'd have to, oh, I want to do an online conference or I want to do... Even like a face-to-face event, an end camp or something like that, but not really do that But because the end camp will take care of that. But they want to do something, and then they say, um, how do we get help? And yes. then people are, it's this much money, it's that much, you got to get this and that much. But see, Sarah and I know people from all the things we've done, and we've done them, so we've gone through all the hoops and obstacles. And that's what we want. We want that anybody, if someone has... 100 followers some you know that they can just be able to spread their passion that's it that's awesome (laughs) what a great place to end thank you it's been an honor to have this face-to-face conversation with you so thank you so much and um, I will continue for another decade to keep watching all the things you do um, but hopefully we don't have to wait that long to meet face-to-face again and thank you so much for having me it's been a great honor and I love getting to chat with you yes I I look forward to, to more thank you